then I thought of a I thought of a Tavares question. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Who's he? Yeah. That was going to be our question. We were joking a minute ago that we were just going to ask if you had heard of him. <laughs> ah, damn, like, I uh, just jumped the gun. Like when Chris Farley interviews Paul McCartney. <laughs> Good morning, and welcome to episode 148 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh in Long Beach, California. Sam Miller, and in Madison, Wisconsin, as we just found out off the air, or or a, a, a an outlying suburb of Madison, Wisconsin, the bustling bustling metropolis that is Madison. <laughs> uh, Ken Funk is here to talk about the Cardinals. Hello again, Ken. Good morning, Ben. Good evening, Sam. And <laughs> after we talk to Ken, Pete Barrett will talk to Joe Strauss, a uh, sports columnist for the St. Louis Post Dispatch. Uh, so the Cardinals, I was just looking over their offseason moves to refresh my memory as I do before these podcasts, and there was not a lot to refresh my memory about. Uh, it seems like the, the headliner is, I guess the headliner is people they just chose not to resign maybe, but I, I mean, it, I guess the, the new addition is, is Randy Choate is the, the highlight of the winter, Ty Wigginton, maybe. Um, and don't forget uh, Ronnie Cedeno. Rob Johnson. Uh, so it's a cavalcade of stars. Uh, so was there anything that the Cardinals needed to do or should have done that they didn't do? Or was this really just they entered the winter with a, a team that was set everywhere and had the luxury of not doing a whole lot? Well, I think they entered the winter with a team that was pretty much set everywhere that they needed to be set. But if they had holes, they felt confident and should feel confident that they can fill them from within. Um, it's great that you're uh, talking to me today immediately after we released our top 101 prospect list. Because if you may have noticed, there were seven Cardinals, no fewer than seven, on our top 101 list this year, which is really pretty impressive. So I think what the Cardinals did is they looked at uh, what they had in-house, what they already had on the major league level, and said, you know, we don't need to go out and pay any money to bring anybody in. If we have a hole, we can probably fill it from one of the guys that we already have in-house. So when we've talked to, to previous guests about teams that had a notably weak or strong farm system, I've kind of asked how it got that way. Um, so how did the Cardinals farm system get to the point where they are dominating our prospect list? Well, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, praise to go around. Um, you know, it would have started several years ago at the top with the, with the uh, tenure of uh, Jeff Lunau at the, at, uh, as their head of scouting. Um, they brought in a lot of high-quality uh, uh, draft picks during during his tenure uh, in St. Louis, and over the years, it's it's more than just uh, the the drafters; it's the the development staff. Uh, the Cardinals have really done a fantastic job over the last uh, five to ten years of uh, getting talent in, um, teaching players how to play, um, finding the best role for them, and and keeping them in house, letting them take over positions um, in in the major league organization. So. Um, you know, I'm not the, I'm, I'm not Jason Parks. I'm not one of the prospect gurus that we have at BP. So I'm, I'm not going to be naming names in the Cardinal system who's who's responsible for all this. But they have just become a development beast. 
when when you look not only at their uh, prospect list for this year, but you look at their organization, um, the the. At the major league level, the players that they have um, in-house, some, many of whom weren't really highly regarded prospects, players like John Jay and uh, David Fries, who they made a trade to bring into the organization, and uh, Alan Craig, a lot of guys who were maybe older but um, have, have really proven that they uh, were a lot better than people thought they would be. So what's really impressive about the seven players that they have on the top 101 is that they've done this um, even after graduating a lot of guys into their uh, major league uh, team over the last few years. They really are. They seem to be a team like you just named three of them, but the, I mean, this seems to be a team that has gotten um, like really good performances out of guys who were never really considered top prospects, who debuted fairly late in the major leagues. Um, you know, sort of maybe Ryan Ludwig is the patron saint of these guys, um, but Alan Craig might end up being the patron saying to these guys i mean is do you have any sense of of like if there's a a consistent philosophy um that leads to this or is this just a matter of uh you know we're i mean at the end of the day we're really only talking about a few guys um and uh you know it could it could theoretically it could just all be kind of flukish Oh, I don't know if it is flukish. I mean, when, when when an organization does something like this consistently, you would think that there would have to be a pattern. There would have to be some something that they're doing that's allowing them to be able to identify talent that they can, you know, then produce. And and not only do they produce the talent that that they have produced, but they seem willing to give up on guys that they may have drafted with a high draft pick that they suddenly sour on and don't think much of. Um, I'm thinking of like Zach Cox, who they traded for Edward Mujica last year. You know, Mm -hmm. Zach Cox was supposed to be the long-term answer at at third base. There were some questions about whether or not he was going to develop into much of a player, and they didn't have any qualms at all about cutting him loose to bring in somebody in the short term that could help their bullpen. Um, He... Zach Cox basically was not needed by the organization because they had Matt Carpenter, who was not really highly regarded. But I think they trust their, their the eyes that their organizational uh, development staff have on the players. They trust the internal reports that they're getting. And, you know, they're, they're looking at the numbers. They're looking at the scouting reports and going, you know, I don't care where these guys were drafted. I don't care what the rest of the world thinks of them. We think that Matt Carpenter is a good player and is going to be able to help our major league team. We think that John Jay can be something more than just a fourth outfielder. We think that he actually could become, you know, a starting center fielder in the in the National League. So I think it's just them being very good at their jobs, just being able to look at talent, be able to judge it effectively, and having you know the gutsiness to to stick to their own convictions. So uh, Oscar Tavares does not fit in this category of players. He is an elite prospect. He's one of the three, maybe the best prospect um, as a hitter. And, uh, of course, everybody after last year is kind of looking for the next Mike Trout, and that's not going to happen. That'll never maybe happen. But um, one of the things about Trout's season is that the Angels left him in the minors for nearly a month, and then they missed the playoffs by a small margin. And so there's always going to be a little bit of uh, looking back regretfully and wondering what would have happened if he'd been there on opening day. Tavares is um, awesome. I mean, he's not going to break camp with the team probably. Uh, I don't know that there's necessarily plans to bring him up uh even early in the season, do you think there's any chance that at the end of the year there's a similar feeling that um, he, uh, you know, would have been useful if they come up a, a game or two short? 
Oh, I think that that would be definitely something that people would say. Um, I mean, we're going to see him at some point this year. Um, the, the, the Cardinals are set in the outfield with uh, Jay and with Matt Holliday and Carlos Beltran. But Carlos Beltran is sort of the baseball equivalent of, of a uh, uh, banana peel laying on a sidewalk. You know, he's an accident waiting to happen. There's going to be a time when he, he's going to be sore. Um, Tavares is going to get called up and he's going to get some play. Um, I, I don't think the Cardinals are actually going to fall short of anything this year, so I don't think that there's going to be um, that sort of conversation later on. And when we talk about predictions later, I, I, can, I can go into more detail. But um, I, I think that he's going to be an outstanding player. You know, you look at what he did in Double A this year, or last year, I should say. You know, entering the season as a teenager in Double A and dominating that league and making adjustments along the way. You know, Double A pitchers thought that they could take advantage of his aggressiveness because he's one of the, he's got this outstanding hit tool and he. Can you know barrel up any pitch that he can reach that he can reach basically? So they thought they could sort of nibble and and get him to get himself out. And he learned that trick really quickly. He he made adjustments against advanced pitching, and that's that's the sign of a player that's that's going to be really really special. So five of those seven guys, I guess, on the on the top 101 are right-handed pitchers. Uh, where do they all fit in? Do you think this year and I guess primarily this year, but also long term. I mean, there's the the whole there's the the kind of pile up at the back of the rotation slash the back of the bullpen with a bunch of guys who seem like they could possibly do either job, but there's not enough room for all of them to do one job. Uh, how do you how do you see those roles sort of being assigned short term and long term? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty happy problem to have mm-hmm. to have too many quality arms to find roles for. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, the with um, Carpenter's injury um, and uh, Kyle Loesch uh, not being resigned, um, there there's at least one opening in the in the rotation. Um, I would have to think at this point Shelby Miller is probably the the favorite for it. We're at that point in the spring training, uh, early in spring training, where every one or two or three innings that these guys throw is going to be over amplified. You know, Trevor Rosenthal didn't pitch particularly well. I think it was on Sunday, and it was going, oh wow, he's already behind. Um, but I think Shelby Miller is is probably viewed long term as the most likely person to eventually head this rotation. I would think that he's the most likely candidate to uh, break camp in the rotation. Uh, Rosenthal, you have the question of whether or not you want him to be a starter or whether you want to use him in relief. Uh, we saw him late last season um, and in, in the playoffs just being stunningly effective uh, in the bullpen. Um, I think that we would all agree that if, if he can start, you would much rather have him start. He's more valuable. Even if he's a number three starter, he's more valuable than he would be as even the closer, most likely being able to pitch those extra innings. So the Cardinals will let him start, hopefully, as long as as he can show that he can be effective that way. He still has to develop a third pitch, um, really, to be effective in the rotation, I think. But um, worst case scenario, they they sort of follow the Chris Sale route with him and put Rosenthal in the bullpen and and make hopefully he'll be lights out again and eventually the aging guy the older guys in the rotation will graduate out and Rosenthal could get a spot there the the way that Sale did with the White Sox. Um, Carlos Martinez is similar to Rosenthal in that 
I mean, he's got maybe the best stuff of the three of them. Um, but there are questions about his delivery. There's questions about his size. And, and there, there's a certain number of uh, uh, there's a certain belief among some that he may wind up in the bullpen as well. What I really see for for Martinez and maybe um, Michael Weka, who had an incredible debut uh, last year in the minors, they could be this year's version of Shelby Miller and Trevor Rosenthal, where down the stretch, the, the Cardinals need to bring in a couple extra arms for the bullpen. And you'll see Carlos Martinez, perhaps pitching 15 innings in, in September and in the playoffs and wowing us all. So um, I, I think that's the way that it stacks up, though. I think it's Miller in the rotation, Rosenthal, either in AAA or in the bullpen, and uh, we'll, we'll probably see Martinez later this year. That is an unfair collection of pitching talent that is almost major league ready or is major yeah. league ready. Yeah, yeah, that is that is really impressive. And, you know, as a lifelong Cubs fan, this is the second time I've gotten to write the uh, Cardinals chapter, and it just fills you with envy when you look at all this. It's 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 actually wonderful. It's nice to be able to write about, write happy stories when, when you're writing for the annual. Sam, do you have a second base question? No. Uh, then I guess I do. Um, who's going to play second base, do you think? Well, obviously, the, the off-season story was that Matt Carpenter, who had, had come up and, and filled in admirably uh, all around the diamond in the corners and actually got some play at second base uh, in a couple games last year, was told to go and uh, learn the position. Um, the Cardinals have a history of doing this. They did this with Skip, Skip Schumacher a few years ago, moved him in from the outfield to get his bat into the lineup. and. Carpenter has a better bat than Schumacher, I think. And Carpenter is actually an infielder. He's primarily played third base, so the transition for him to play second isn't quite as uh, daunting as it would be, I think, for a, for a lifelong uh, outfielder. Um, so far, the returns are positive. Having said all that, me personally, if I'm the Cardinals, I would rather have Daniel Descalso playing second base. Um, I think that he's a better hitter than he showed last year. He's another lefty bat in the lineup, which they, they could use. I think that he's got some on-base ability and is going to be better defensively than Carpenter is. But more importantly, I think Carpenter is going to be more valuable um, just filling the sort of super utility role that he filled last year. When you look at the guys that, that uh, you have on the corners for the Cardinals, you've got uh, David Freeze and his spun sugar, sugar uh, ankle ligaments at third base. Um, you've got Alan Craig at first, who tends to get banged up. Um, Carpenter's going to be moving all around the field. And if you make him your everyday second baseman, that sort of gums up the works a little bit. So I think they, you know, if I'm a pitcher, um, if I'm, you know, uh, if I'm Adam Wainwright, I'd like to see um, David Descalso playing second base. So, um, Mike Daniel Matheny, Descalso, sorry. Uh, Mike Matheny's first year um, was sort of a, I don't know, qualified success, I guess. He did manage uh, fairly deep into the postseason. So we got to see him in. Uh, in that role as well. What what do you make of him as a manager? Is there anything uh, kind of early on that you think defines him? You know, what I think actually he did really well last year was keep the team going through all the injuries and show a willingness to to move players around. Um, Carpenter being another example, uh, an example of that we've already talked about. You know, the Cardinals started the season with a fair number of injuries. They had an injury stack at first base. Um, they had to suffer through Rafael uh, Fercal getting injured. Um, he was uh, Fercal was great at shortstop in the first half and earned a berth in the, in the All-Star game, but was really pathetic uh, after that and then got hurt. So, you know, there were a lot of decisions that Matheny had to make as to how the roster is supposed to look, um, how, how to handle his bullpen. His bullpen got off to a terrible start last year as well. Um, and he was able to, um, and the organization was 
was able to by making some trades and bringing some guys up um, really cement things. And by the end of the year, the team was you know, a lot more smoothly run than it had been earlier on. I, I think a lot of that has to do with Matheny. Um, he's, he's not Tony La Russa. There's good things about that and bad things about that, I would say. Um, but all in all, yeah, I would say it was even more than a qualified success. I think it was pretty successful when you think of the task that Matheny had having to come in, you know, replacing a living legend, taking over a team that had lost, you know, Albert Pujols, the face of the franchise and a future Hall of Famer, um, the pitching coach, Dave Duncan, who's a legend, was no longer there. To come in and bring this team to within, you know, a few outs of the World Series is really, really quite an accomplishment. All right. Prediction time. Oh, okay. Um, well, there's there's a lot of reasons why you should be able to predict that the Cardinals are maybe going to take a little bit of a step back this year. There's the injury to, to Chris Carpenter. There's uh, the loss of, of uh, Kyle Loesch. So you think maybe the, the starting pitching might regress a little bit. Um, and they're not going to be able to beat up on the Astros this year. The Astros going to the American League. They went 11-4 and against the Astros last year. Um, the Cubs have gone out and bought themselves something actually resembling a major league uh, starting rotation. So it, it looks like the, the division is going to be um, a little bit tougher. However, I've spent most of a lifetime waiting to watch the Cardinals pitching collapse, expecting it to collapse, and never seeing it collapse. So I, I actually think I, I've got them at 91-71 and in winning the division. Hmm. That's, uh, I guess, probably more optimistic than the, the consensus, I guess. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it is. I might just be blinded from having, you know, write, written all these pieces about all these players in the organization that are really, really impressive. But there's something about the Cardinals. They they find a way to win. And, I, you know, when I, when I look at their lineup and I look at uh, what the Reds have and I, I consider the organizations, I consider the Dusty Baker factor. Um, yeah, I, I do think the Cardinals are going are gonna to pull it out. Well, we did talk about how they seem to have no holes to fill and are strong pretty much everywhere, so they should be pretty good, you would think. Um, yeah, and, and in fact, if they, you know, whatever holes they may have, one of the, the benefits of having such a deep organization is that they'll be really well positioned to make whatever moves they need to make at the deadline. They'll, they have not only all these great players at the top, but they have a deep organization. They have, you know, players like John Gast and, and people further in the organization that they can trade for pieces if they need them in, in July and August. can always make another Mujica trade when they need one. Yep. Uh, okay. Thank you, Ken. We will bring you back tomorrow to talk about the Brewers. Uh, and we look forward to that. And coming up after the intro, Pete Barrett talks to Joe Strauss, sports columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. It may still be winter, but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. Joe Strauss, sports columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, joins us on the Effectively Wild podcast here on BaseballPerspectus.com to talk about the Cardinals. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Spring training is important for guys to try to make the club and scouts and managers seeing what the team has. For a lot of players, it's just a way to get warmed up for the season. As a columnist, what are you trying to do during spring training? Not just, you know, kind of fill in the blanks between the news of the day and try to provide some sort of context for what's going on down here, what 
may be a pleasant surprise, what might be maybe more of a concern than people are led to believe or had, had preconceived. So, you know, just kind of provide the mortar between the bricks of the coverage. At that time, do you think some people take uh, too much stake and take too much out of spring training? I saw that one person you told um, on spring training basically to kind of relax about it today because it's, it's only like the first sec- or second game of spring training. Well, I, I think it's a common tendency among media as well to see something happen one or two times in spring training and make a big deal of it. Otherwise, you know, why are you here? I mean, you try to tend to justify what you're doing, and sometimes that, you know, you, you see something in an isolated incident and draw a conclusion from it. And, you know, I think most people recognize spring for what it is. It's, it's something to get ready for a 162-game schedule, and if something keeps happening over two weeks or so, then it's probably an issue. But if, you know, like the Cardinals lose the first two games or Matt Holiday goes hitless two games in a row, it's certainly not cause for alarm or, you know, panic. But I think when somebody's far removed from it and just reads it in a box score in a clinical account of the game, that's, that's the first, you know, leap they take. Yeah, and it's interesting now. I'd like to get your take. Mike Matheny, I think, second spring training under his regime. Is he doing things a little bit differently this time around? They've restructured some of the drills and how they um, go about things. They've put more emphasis on some things like bunting, situational hitting that the club wasn't good at last year. But I think overall the camp has been more efficient. Uh, certainly the planning has been more efficient because they've done it before. Last year he was a first-time manager, and his staff, with just a couple exceptions, was in their first year in those roles. So it was kind of a shakedown cruise. But it's gone it's gone fairly smooth this year. Uh, Except for a couple of minor, minor tweaks to a couple of players, it's uh, it's been good. There is some concern about Raphael for call, and obviously Chris Carpenter in here. But you know those were those were known to be issues before camp opened. So in terms of there being any unforeseen surprises, uh, nothing really yet. I'm sure you've had a chance to talk to Matheny about what he learned from last year. How do you think a conversation would go between him and say? a new manager like Mike Redman. What can he uh, tell Redman to expect in his first year as a manager? Well, that's a good question because, you know, every team has its own set of concerns. Certainly the Marlins are in a lot different competitive situation than the Cardinals are. But uh, I think, you know, everybody has to handle media. Everybody has to run a camp. Everybody has to get used to handling a clubhouse. You know, those those are things that I think Mike can help uh, Redman with. But, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell if somebody had a run in his club when every team is, you know, has its own personality. But just the experience of going through it, what, you know, what, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Just concentrate on the big stuff. Those are probably points of interest in somebody who's gone through it for a year could could tell somebody who's just coming into it uh, what to look out for. Do you think there's this new trend with guys like Robin Ventura, Mike Matheny, Mike Redmond getting hired? Do you think that's more effective for teams than, say, a guy like Jack McKeon or? Um, Davey Johnson getting hired. Which do you think matters more to a team? Well, here's an interesting trend. I think you do see a lot of less experienced younger managers who aren't that far removed from playing being given managerial jobs. And, uh, you know, there are a number of theories for it. I think you know, you're starting to see more of a sabermetric influence on hires. I think the value of a manager is looked upon differently than it once was. You know, I think a manager is seen more as a to some degree, an employee within the organization who's who's beneath the general manager and uh, is 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 part of a larger picture as opposed to being autonomous and running the ship as he sees fit. 
I mean, certainly I think there's a shift in the Cardinals from the Tony La Russa days where you know, here's a guy who had 33 years of experience. He was going to do it his way as opposed to Mike Matheny who comes in at the uh, behest of John Mazalak and is looked upon as you know, part of a you know, a linear flow chart who incorporates what metrics and what uh, the front office like to see within the team and perhaps even within the lineup. So I think in that regard, and plus, you know, a first-time manager is obviously cheaper. You're paying guys less than a million dollars as opposed to a La Russa who was making over four and a half, and you can't tell me that that doesn't have some appeal to, uh, to, to various ownerships. So I, I think there are a lot of trends kind of coming together, not only in how managers are viewed, but the game in general is viewed. We're talking Cardinals baseball with Joe Strauss. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Strauss. Um, St. Louis Cardinals pitching is going to look a little bit differently, at least to start the season. You got um, Chris Carpenter, 60-day DL. Jaime Garcia is questionable for the start of the season. Obviously, they lost Kyle Loesch. Do you think their starting rotation is still good enough to get the job done without those guys? I think it's good enough to compete. I think the margin for error is relatively thin. You know, Garcia is a question until we see him doing it multiple times in the season. They've still yet to determine who's this starter. Wainwright is two years removed from Tommy John surgery. Uh, you know, Jake Westbrook has had a series of oblique injuries the last several years. I think the question is with each pitcher, but there's also you know a fairly high ceiling with each guy. So I think I think there's a rather broad range, and I think that range will, will have a lot to say about what happens with the club. Uh, you know, Raphael Fakal, the shortstop, is a big question mark right now. So I think, you know, as we said last year at this time, if the Cardinals are healthy, they're as good as anybody in the league. But the Cardinals were never healthy last year, so they won 88 games, stuck into the wild card, and did some damage before losing the NLCS. I just think they're going to have to do better than 88 wins to get into the playoffs this year. And for that to happen, I think the rotation has to be perhaps a little bit more stable than it was a year ago. Joe, one of the things I'm trying to get a feel for from columnists and writers that I have on the podcast is their feeling on the World Baseball Classic and its timeliness. And I know the Cardinals are getting guys like Beltran and Molina ready for when they're going to leave camp and head um, to train for the WBC. Do you think they've worked out all the kinks? And is this the right time to have the Classic during spring training, or does it interfere too much? I'll be honest. I don't think there is a right time for it, just because you know the, the season is so long now and the winter is so abbreviated. I just don't think there's a good time for it, whether it's right before the season starts or right after when guys are tired. Um, I think, you know, it's more of a marketing device than any real meaningful competition. I dare say fewer than 20% of baseball fans can tell you that Japan has won both WBCs. Uh, you know, it's a marketing element. It's designed to increase the visibility of Major League Baseball throughout the world. And then you see the number of guys who excuse themselves from consideration. It's obviously not a big deal in, in, the, in, the, in the United States. It's, it's seen as solely an exhibition, a, a diversion. And perhaps some of the Caribbean countries and Far Eastern countries see it a little bit more fervently because of the nationalistic flavor. But I, I, just, don't, I just don't see how long a leg this thing has. All it's going to take is somebody of substance getting badly hurt and really impacting a team's chances within the regular season, that there's going to be a huge hue and cry for major changes. And it, it just doesn't seem to have traction within the United States. So do you foresee this not lasting for that many more years? You know, if it were to last, if they were to hold it twice more after this, I would say that was an accomplishment. Uh, 
beyond that, I just, I just don't know if it has the legs to sustain itself because I just don't know if there's the interest there. I, to me, it doesn't seem something that can really last unless it, unless it takes hold within America, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, a lot of players are bowing out, and it's really not the best team that we can even send over there. Um, there's not that much interest, but I think that's a unique take from other people that I've talked to, but I appreciate your insight. Joe Strauss, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Enjoy spring training and the Cardinals' 2013 season. All right, thank you.